This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. This is the Hack Podcast. And it's a bit of a heavy one today because we're focusing on something that affects most young Australians, and that's mental health and mental health support. Because we know almost 40% of young Australians have experienced a mental health disorder over the past year. If you put that figure into context, it basically means look around your close friend group and the chances are one of you has probably really struggled over the past few months. Maybe that person was you. But it feels like it's harder than ever to get help. Why is that? What is stopping young Australians getting the help and why don't we have enough people to offer the help? whether it's psychologists, psychiatrists, counsellors. We've got the Health Minister, Mark Butler, on. He's going to answer some questions about subsidised psychology sessions, why Australians can't access as many of those now than we could a year ago. There's a lot to get into. Let's do it. Hack. If I don't see my psychologist, I just am not stable enough. On Triple J. When was the last time that you went to see a psychologist? Maybe you use some of the Medicare rebates to help pay for visits, or you'd love to see a psychologist. You're even willing to pay it all yourself, but you just can't get in to see someone in the first place. Everywhere's booked out. It's been a year since the number of subsidised psychology sessions was cut from 20 back to 10. And we've been asking you what kind of impacts that's had. And on Instagram, we've had a whole heap of responses. Someone says, I've had to space out my appointments to only once a month hope that I don't hit crisis point in my mental health because I can't afford additional sessions out of pocket. Angelica says, I'm relying more on my medication now than therapy. It's only $10 a month, but a psych session is 200 bucks post-subsidy. In a minute, we're going to speak with the health minister to ask what the government's plan is here, why it didn't keep those extra 10 sessions when so many people clearly are struggling right now. But first, Ellie Grounds has been speaking to some of you about how you're coping. And a warning, this story talks about some heavy stuff, including suicide. And I was making amazing progress. Like my friends, my family, everyone was saying, wow, like, you know, you're not crying at the drop of a hat or you are going out and doing things that you would normally be so anxious to do. A few years ago, Emma felt like she was finally making progress with her mental health. She'd got a new diagnosis and found a psychologist she really gelled with, who she could actually afford to see frequently. Because during the COVID years, the former coalition government temporarily doubled the number of Medicare-subsidised psychologist sessions from 10 to 20. I needed those fortnightly sessions, otherwise I feared like I probably wouldn't be here if I'm going to be candid. But then a year ago, under the Labor government, it switched back and Emma had to make a choice. You say, well, I can't go. Like, do I put food on the table or do I go to therapy? She stopped going for a year and things got bad really bad. Because it was at the point where I could barely function. She's seeing a psych again. And now that we're in a new calendar year, we'll be able to access another 10 cheaper sessions. But she reckons the whole process has kind of been like one step forward, a million steps back. Now it's actually almost more work than what it was before. If I just kept being continuous, probably wouldn't have had to go back. And I probably was using resources 
like the doctor to go back in more times than what I actually needed if I just kept going. Since the sessions went back to 10, there's been a 40% increase in people from the most disadvantaged socioeconomic group delaying seeing a psych or not seeing one at all because of how much it costs. That's according to a patient survey done by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. So many of you have told Hack you're one of those people and it's having severe impacts. And then I'd suddenly go, I'm not in a good place. Like, I'm starting to, like, harm myself. I'm starting to push back my friends. I'm starting to have this low mood where I'm having, like, the suicidal, like, ideation. Peck says that the difference between seeing her psych and not is dramatic. I genuinely feel like if I didn't have it, I would have probably had to go inpatient somewhere. So she's made the conscious decision to keep paying for help out of pocket. But to afford it, she's had to borrow a lot of money. I think within the last 18 months, I've gone to loans for like a cumulative amount was $5,000. And that has gone towards lots of my psychology sessions. And I have a really big fear of going back to those places where I was putting myself in harm. And that's why I'm like, okay, money's on the back burner. Peck says she's always been able to pay the loans back. But for other young people, that's not an option. There's just no way they can pay out of pocket. It wasn't something I really had a choice in. I'm at uni, I'm on youth allowance, and it was a luxury that I couldn't afford once we dropped back to the 10 sessions. Shania says by the time she actually felt like she was getting somewhere with her severe anxiety and depression, her subsidised sessions were used up for the year. After paying rent and groceries, I do not have $230 to be spending um, on therapy. It's just, yeah, no. And she says half of them weren't even spent on the actual therapy side of things. They were just used to get to know her psych. At least a month. And I would say, like, even then, we weren't really able to dive really, really deep um, and get to where I wish we could. Jodie Wittenberg, who is a clinical psychologist, reckons that and basically everything Emma Peck and Shania have said is exactly what psychs have seen. Clinical psychology is is not just the treatment of a psychological condition. There's, you know, the assessment, the diagnosis, the treatment planning, and then the treatment. So doing all that in 10 sessions is not achievable. Especially for people with complex mental health needs. PTSD, complex trauma, major depressive disorder, and OCD, for example, evidence-based treatment to adequately provide treatment for those conditions require longer-term therapy. And for young people. They're really motivated. They're very psychologically aware. Um, So they're the kind of clients that will engage really well often with therapy and use their, their 10 sessions in a timely manner and then be exposed to often having that big gap. You're listening to Hack on Triple J. Ellie Grounds with that update. And remember, if this has raised any issues for you, if you need to talk to someone, you can always get Lifeline on 13 11 14. We are hearing from you on the text line. Kate, who's a psychologist, says, as a psych, it's opened more appointments up. As a client, it's really tough. 10 is not evidence-based. It's literally a random number Medicare made up years ago. That's Kate's message there. Liam in Cranbourne says, I work as a first responder. I've suffered a lot of my own mental health issues. I see how the emergency department often doesn't care about people in crisis, but I also see people who get all the support they can but don't do their part either. 
And another person says to sort out people's mental health, the government needs to sort out the cost of living. Australians have never been doing it so tough. No wonder everyone's mental health is so poor. Well, let's dig into this a bit more now as the government ask them why it's made the decisions it has. If it thinks that this change in terms of subsidised psychology sessions has worked, Health Minister Mark Butler is with us. Minister, thanks for coming on Hack. My pleasure. It's been a year since the government cut Medicare subsidised psych sessions from 20 to 10. We asked the Prime Minister about it last week and he said we should ask you about it. So, Minister, I guess our big question is, why did you cut the sessions? Well, um, it's important to say, Dave, we did not cut the sessions. The sessions had always been capped at about 10. Traditionally, this program, which has run for almost 20 years now, has delivered four to six sessions on average for people with generally anxiety and depression. Now, the former government, the Morrison government, during the COVID period, particularly the lockdown period, increased that number because of what was happening to society, really, for a short term, for only two years, from 10 to 20. And in their final budget, which was delivered just before the 2022 election, it was budgeted to come to an end, those additional 10 sessions, uh, in December 2022. And that that is what happened. I mean, you're saying it's not really a cut but for a lot of young Australians who may have only experienced these sessions during those COVID years, it did seem like that. They were eligible for 20, then they were eligible for 10. Why did you make the decision to not continue the 20 sessions at a time when young Australians are really feeling the brunt of mental ill health? Well, I'll come back to that question about the burden of mental ill health for young Australians because it is critically important. But at about the same time, those additional sessions were coming to an end. Uh, the government received an evaluation of this program. So we received the evaluation, including of the fact that there had been these additional 10 sessions. And what it found was that um, because of the additional 10 sessions, that means some people were getting more, there are actually far fewer Australians being able to access the system at all. There's obviously only a limited number of psychologists, but those additional 10 going to some meant that tens and tens of thousands of Australians who wanted to get into the system, whose doctor wanted to refer them into the system, weren't able to get any access whatsoever. And 12 months on, what we've learned is that last year, in 2023, after we'd reverted back to the original cap, 45,000 more Australians got access to some therapy than happened in, in uh, in the previous year. Do you know where those extra people are, though? Because I know, for instance, the Prime Minister said that the people who were missing out were people in rural and regional areas. Do you know those extra people are coming from rural and regional areas? Well, this has been um, really a perennial problem or challenge with this program, and it really sprouted a whole lot of private psychology businesses. And the vast bulk of them set up in, frankly, wealthier suburbs in in the major cities. So a real challenge for the entire history of this program has been that in the outer suburbs, in rural and regional communities, there's much lower levels of access to a clinical psychologist than there is in, say, the wealthier suburbs and the inner cities. And again, that's what the evaluation found. While this program had been growing for several years, more psychologists, more sessions, overwhelmingly, pretty much all that growth went to the richest 20% or richest fifth of the Australian population. But I guess what we'd like to know is, did the change that your government made 
actually help the extra people well, that were accessing the scheme? Were they coming from rural and regional areas? Well, no, and I don't think I don't think that change in and of itself was going to change the distribution of where psychologists work, and that's the point I'm making. This really access depends upon where you can get a psychologist, and the decision that happened the year before last wasn't going to change really where the psychologists were setting up their businesses. That is another challenge. It's a big challenge, and it's one that I'm working with the mental health sector leadership on trying to address. Okay, this is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese speaking with Health Minister Mark Butler about subsidised psych sessions a year after they were cut from 20 to 10. Hearing from you on the text line, someone says, I still can't afford mental health treatment, even with the 10 subsidised sessions. Everywhere I've been, I still have to pay about 200 bucks up front, which I just can't afford, even if I do get some money back with a mental health plan. Another person says, I live in a small town and there are no psychiatrists or psychologists. I've been waiting to see a counsellor since December for my appointment, which is at the end of February. I'm struggling every day. And somebody else says, imagine telling cancer patients they only have 10 appointments covered by Medicare. That's someone's thoughts there. I'm speaking with Health Minister Mark Butler. Minister, there is another important part of this because you've been talking about a review that happened into these subsidised sessions and how you listen to the expert advice. But there was a recommendation in that review, recommendation 12, that said the additional 10 sessions should continue to be made available and they should be targeted towards those with complex mental health needs. Why did you ignore that recommendation? Well, because I don't think the Better Access Scheme is well designed, really designed at all, to be able to identify those with complex needs and triage the additional sessions to them. But that's what Uh, the experts were saying. Or it, it, it's just not a recommendation that I think was well-crafted. And frankly, as I've worked over the last 12 months with, uh, with experts, I think there's a broad acceptance that, that this better access scheme works well for some people. It's just not designed to identify people who might have more complex needs and triage them into some additional sessions. You know, I think if we, if we, if we did that, if we continued with the additional sessions, I would have no confidence that people with more complex needs would be the people who got them because that's exactly what happened in the couple of years that those additional sessions were available. But wouldn't it be so, better than nothing? Like that that's the question that a no, lot of people not. listening would be asking. Wouldn't it be no, better, better to better have the nothing. sessions than not have them at all and potentially people with those complex needs could have access? No, because that would be a complete lottery, Dave. That's the point I'm making. The evaluation found very clearly that that for those people who were getting the additional sessions were not the people with more complex needs. And, and that's no surprise because there's no triage system. And so not only are you not achieving what you want to achieve and what a whole lot of other people want to achieve, which is to give better support to people with complex needs, you're actually having a downside, which is that tens of thousands of people were unable to get into the system at all. And generally, those were people in outer suburbs on lower incomes. And and so, look, uh, this is not the right solution to a very clear problem. But I guess the question then is, does the government have a concrete alternative plan to treat young people with moderate to severe psychological conditions? Well, I think the honest answer to that is that there's not really a model available to us right now. You know, we have Headspace service would be well known to many of your listeners. Uh, I was delighted to see um, the support the Triple J gave to that. The recent Hottest 100 campaign raised some great funds to, to expand their services. But that again is a 
is a limited model in the sense that it provides a limited level of care to people with generally mild to moderate needs. Then we have the more developed system that Pat McGorry set up and I funded when I was mental health minister a decade ago for young people with early period psychosis, schizophrenia or other psychotic disorders. But there's not really a model we have in between those two things. And I think we need to work on, frankly, as, as a government. It's not something that we've had traditionally here in Australia. And I know as I look overseas, we're not alone here. The other challenge, though, frankly, is affordability of this scheme. So the number of young Australians participating in this scheme has been in a, on a fairly steady decline. And I think that's really about affordability. The gap fees that psychologists are tending to charge here have been growing very fast. On average now, it's about $100 per session. Uh, but in some parts of the country, I know it's much more than that. So young people being on generally lower incomes are finding it harder and harder to access a psychologist and pay the gap fees. So that, again, the equity, the affordability is something that really doesn't turn on whether there's 10 or 20 sessions available. It's mar There are much more structural challenges in this system. So what about the costs then? If we're talking about affordability, what are we doing about that? I could put a whole lot of taxpayer money into increasing the rebates for those psychology sessions, but I have no way of guaranteeing that that ends up benefiting patients rather than simply being factored into the psychology business. So it didn't simply lift the income of the psychologist, but it actually reduced the gap fee of the patient. This is not an easy problem to grapple with. And what about training? Because when we talk about this issue, that's a huge component that, you know, psych psychologists will get in touch and say there are all levels of issues in terms of training and getting psychologists up to speed into those roles. What is the government doing to streamline that process, make it easier for people who want to be psychologists to be psychologists? Well, you're right to point that out. One of the challenges we had with that bottleneck I talked about, that if you give some people more sessions other people miss out entirely. I mean, that, that's really a product of the fact we've only got a limited number of particularly clinical psychologists. So one of our responses to the evaluation of this program in last year's budget was to um, have hundreds more scholarships to train new psychologists and, and to fund supervision of their training as they're going beyond their undergraduate course. We want to see more psychologists in the system uh, because that's the only way we're going to prevent sort of experiencing these bottlenecks. But that doesn't happen overnight. As you know, Dave, we can fund that in the May 2023 budget, and we did that, but it takes a little while to train them. So getting that supply through into the system of new psychologists is a really important part of the response we need to make. Well, look, we do appreciate you being very generous with your time, answering all our questions. Health Minister Mark Butler, thank you very much for coming on Hack. My great pleasure. And we still got a lot of messages coming through on the text line. Someone says, I was a psych student who wants to work in the mental health space in any capacity. The irony is that I can't finish my degree because I can't find or afford appropriate psychological support. Getting a lot of messages through about what people's opinions are here, about the struggles they've had to access psychological support. As we just heard the health minister say, one of the biggest problems is obviously we don't have enough psychologists, but why is that? What is behind the shortage? Well, Dr. Zena Burgess is the head of the Australian Psychological Society and she's with us now. Uh, G'day, Dr. Burgess. Thank you very much for coming on Hack. Thank you for the invitation. Can you explain how hard it is to become a psychologist in Australia? What do you have to do? 
Well, you have to do a, a lot of study. First of all, you do a basic degree and about 15,000 people do an undergraduate degree in psychology. And then you need to do a fourth year. And then after that, you have to do a fifth or sixth year sequence of training. So it's a very long journey to become a psychologist. And as you move through that journey, the number of places is severely limited. Academic staff talk to me often about the anguish they have out of hundreds of applications trying to select eight students or 10 students to allow them to continue to complete their qualification. So the frustration is very high for um, candidates who would like to be psychologists and the frustration is hard for the academics trying to select people into these pathways. There are great people who would love to be psychologists who would benefit the community and benefit many patients, but they just can't complete their training. So what needs to change here? Like in your view, what yeah. could be done to free up spaces, to make it easier for people who really want to help out in this way to become mm. psychologists? Well, certainly there needs to be more funding for universities and more places. The Minister has also announced a review of the education pathway. So maybe there's a way to change the sequencing of education or to improve the uh, readiness for um, graduates to work in the psychology field. And then when they're doing their placements, which is part of their work training, to have more placements available so they can get into the workforce sooner. We've got a message here from someone who says, yeah, um, basically we need more Commonwealth-supported places at universities for master programs and more scholarships for students. It's a completely unaffordable degree to study as you don't have time to work alongside studying. Uh, do we know how short we are, Dr Burgess? Like how many extra psychologists we need in Australia to bring us up to the level to, to help people who need help? Well, the government's own report has said that we've got 35% of the workforce that we need. So the caller who came in and said we need more Commonwealth-funded places and scholarships is absolutely right. We also need more opportunities for people to work rurally and to particularly assist people go to rural areas by rural scholarships, um, extra funding for uh, psychologists who offer consultations in rural areas and more placements in rural areas so the workforce get experienced in working in rural communities. Because that is one of the big issues, right, as the health minister said. A lot of psychologists have set up shop in richer areas, for want of a better term, big cities, that kind of thing. Mm. It's kind of like the GP shortage that we see in some parts of the country. There needs to be some kind of incentives to get people into the right areas, areas where there is a shortage. Mm. Do you think yeah, that, that yeah. is possible through um, just scholarships and, and those kinds of incentives? Look, I think it'll certainly help. It is exactly the same as other health services, dental services and all doctor services. Rural communities suffer through there not being sufficient workforce to service the needs of those communities. And yes, specific things need to be done to assist. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Dr Zena Burgess from the Australian Psychological Society about why we're so short of psychologists in Australia, just uh, the real struggles people have, not only in terms of training, but also the, the cost of it, time, cost. Dr Burgess, the Health Minister also told us that under the previous system of 20 subsidised psych sessions, the people who needed those most, those with more complex mental health issues, they didn't have access to them. They weren't getting those sessions. Basically, well, think, yeah. that now they've reduced it to 10, it's made the system fairer. What's, what's your yeah. thought on that? 
Well, that is one of the points we don't agree with the Minister on. Um, there is insufficient psychologists and limiting the dosage of treatment to somebody who needs it doesn't help them get better. It may band-aid the situation, but it doesn't lead to them not needing further services. So it starts a revolving door of services as people have a short amount of service, go away and need to come back. We'd prefer to give a complete dose of service to someone so they are able to continue in the community and not need to return. So the idea that um, someone having 20 sessions makes it impossible for someone else to have some sessions doesn't quite add up in terms of treatment. You wouldn't do that to a cancer patient. You wouldn't say to them, you can have five sessions when you need 10. You would complete the dose of treatment so they are cured. It's the same situation with mental health. Well, we have run out of time. Unfortunately, we could keep speaking about this for hours, I think. And there's certainly a big response from our listeners on the text line right now. But we appreciate your time. Dr. Zena Burgess, thank you very much for coming on Hack. Thank you very much. Bye. Hack. French farmers have continued to use their tractors to block traffic on major highways surrounding Paris. On Triple J. All right, we're going to switch things up a bit now to tell you about something else that's been happening in the world. Pretty rare to see a tractor driving down the main street of a big city. What's even rarer is seeing hundreds of tractors in a convoy, bringing some of the biggest cities in Europe to a standstill. But it's been happening lately, over the past few months. Not just causing traffic jams, though. They're dumping shit on government buildings, literally manure. These tractors in countries like Greece, Germany, Portugal, Poland, France. What is going on? What are these farmer protests all about? And what do our farmers in Australia think? Well, our regional reporter April McLennan's been looking into it. When I say France, you probably think of croissants, baguettes, perhaps the Mona Lisa. Now imagine some of the beautiful government buildings dripping with stinking manure, piles of rotten veggies and tyres dumped on the streets, and farmers blocking highways and major roads into Paris with their tractors. It's all part of these big protests that have been happening in the country over the past couple of weeks. Honestly, it's very difficult. I'm supposed to take over Dad's farm since I was little, and with the agricultural world deteriorating, it's scary. We're fed up. We are managed by people who make decisions, who know nothing about it, who do not put their boots on to come and see what is happening on the ground, and we can't take it anymore. While the protests have mostly been peaceful, in the last few weeks, almost 80 farmers were arrested after they entered a giant food market just outside Paris and allegedly caused some damage. The farmers are pissed off about a few things, like what they say are low wages, high taxes, unfair competition from abroad, high production costs and environmental regulations that they say is making the job almost impossible. The problem is the standards are set by people sitting in offices who explain to us that there is global warming, that there are climate hazards, but then they are not aware that when it is dry, the seeds are not germinating. In response to the farmers' disruptions, the French government announced some measures to ease the agricultural crisis. It's promised some cash and said it would soften some of the regulations. And these promises got two of the largest farming unions to suspend the protests but some of the farmers are still on the fence over the decision. In truth, we feel bitterness. We are partly satisfied, but we're waiting to see it in writing because the government talks and talks and we're still waiting for changes. 
Despite what appears to be a bit of a resolution in France, the protest movement has spread to other parts of Europe, with farmers also staging demonstrations in Belgium, Italy, the Netherlands, Germany, Romania and Poland. And with the EU parliamentary elections coming up in June, plenty of people are saying it's just the beginning because agriculture is going to be a huge issue. Here's the French Farmers Union vice president. His name is Luc Suisa. This anger is great. It runs deep. The crisis is deep. And everywhere in France today, we need to be heard by our politicians, by our government. But above all, we need things to move at the European level. And while European leaders say they're listening to the farmers' voices, like the EU's Agricultural Commissioner, Janusz Wojciechowski. Uh, we will take into account this voice in our work, especially for the future common agricultural policy. Plenty of people aren't sold, like the president of the far-right National Rally Party in France, Jordan Badella, who's also a candidate in the upcoming EU parliament elections. I invite the Minister of Agriculture to put on his boots and come here to see the suffering of farmers who are bearing the brunt of his policy and who can no longer stand accepting all these European rules that mean that our farmers can no longer make a decent living from their work. While we haven't seen anything as extreme as the European protests here in Australia, only last week farmers in SA drove tractors, harvesters and trucks through Renmark, blocking traffic to protest what they say are unsustainable prices within the wine industry. And last year, dozens of tractors surrounded Victoria's state parliament in protest of a plan to build transmission lines across their land. What we're seeing overseas is that frustration hitting boiling point. We're getting very close to that in some of the issues around Australia. David Johinke is the president of the National Farmers Federation. And David reckons we're getting to a tipping point where farmers are going to take direct action here too. What we want to do is um, link arms with consumers and, and the general public to say, we're not doing this to, to harm you. We're not doing this to be alarmist we're doing this to actually raise the fact that we do work long hours we we choose this industry we want it to succeed across the country farmers have been facing an increase in production costs workforce shortages and some feel they're not getting paid enough for their produce and David says some people within the ag industry are really struggling we need the community to understand that um, we can't continue with these pressures. We can't continue to become more efficient to cover up these costs that we have. And we are getting to a tipping point where um, we will see more protests and on a bigger scale if things don't change. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan with that update. A lot of support for farmers, not only in Australia, but around the world. And we've had a huge reaction to that chat we had with the Health Minister Mark Butler about mental health support, subsidised psychology sessions. Look, it is something that we're going to stay on because we know it's important to you. We'll keep across the developments. We'll keep breaking down these issues, the barriers throughout the year. But that is all we've got time for on this Hack Podcast. I'll catch you next time. See ya. Hack. Hack.